welcome to the Manifest Your Career podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a Latina career and life coach. With this podcast, I help successful women learn how to combine their intuition and logic so that they can manifest their dream career. By listening to my podcast, you'll learn how to go from feeling stuck and lost on what to do next to having the clarity, motivation, and strategies to manifest the career of your dreams. Each episode, I'll teach you the skills, strategies, and mindset you need, girl, to get in alignment with your career goals. Now let's go ahead and get started. Hey everyone, welcome back. This is episode 17 and I have a special guest interview for you guys. Her name is Laura Savala Membreno. She's a licensed professional counselor in Houston, Texas. She's a Houston native and earned her undergraduate and master's degrees from the University of Houston. And a special shout out to her because this fall she will be pursuing her PhD in higher education leadership. Laura's interests and areas of expertise include intimate partner violence and sexual trauma, as well as first generation and minority population experiences in higher education. And her field of research involves Latina graduate student persistence and success. Outside of professional and educational pursuits, Laura is a partner, a mom, and enjoys enjoying the riches of her home city through food and cultural experiences. Thank you so much for being here with us. And so my official first question for everyone is always, tell me about your family background. Where did you grow up and whom did you live with? Awesome. Well, thank you for having me. I'm super excited to just have the chance to be in conversation with you. So I am a Houston native, born and raised in Houston. And growing up, I lived with both of my parents who are from the Rio Grande Valley of Texas, or uh, the Valley, El Valle, as we know it over here. And they both moved here for my dad's job. He was with HPD, Houston Police Department, for many years. And so I lived with both my mom and dad until my parents divorced when I was around second grade or so. And then since then, my mom has, you know, been my primary caregiver from that time. Thank you. And shout out to Houston, Texas. What? what? Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so when you were young and people asked you what you wanted to be when you grew up, what do you recall telling them? I can always remember ever since the time I was little telling people that I wanted to be a veterinarian. Like anytime anybody asked me, I would say I want to be a vet. Specifically, if they had asked me further, I would have said a vet for cats because <laughs> I love cats. I've grown up with them my whole life. I love dogs and I have a few dog nieces and one dog nephew, but I I am a total cat person. So that was always what I wanted to be until my my career plans changed (laughs) later on. But as a kid, I would draw pictures of myself as a vet. I drew out my vet office that I was going to have with all my exam rooms and what they were going to have in them. So I was committed as (laughs) a little kid to Yeah, that's pretty committed. I haven't that you're the first to say you drew pictures out. You were already doing vision boards before vision was. boards was a thing. Before they were a thing, yes. I know. I didn't even know it. Trend setting. So who do you recall being some of your earliest career models growing up? That you imagined yourself growing up and maybe what kind of work did they do? Yeah, what's an interesting question. I I don't know that I would identify any like role models for for a career. I mean, my mom has always worked, you know, she's worked at an insurance office up until she retired. Actually, she worked for the same insurance company. But as far as like role model wise, I mean, she was always like really careful to tell me about like how important education was. So like, I always just kind of knew I was going to go to college. And I had the ideas of like what a career was going to look like after that. But there really weren't a whole lot of people for me to look to, even like in the media, right? Like there's not a whole lot, especially then, like a representation of Latinas in careers that didn't involve like being a maid or a nanny or like one of those like stereotyped roles. So, you know, all of the shows that I watched like had 
white people in careers as like newscasters, like I grew up watching Full House or things like that. So I I don't think that I really had that. And I think about that now and it makes me kind of sad that there wasn't really that model growing up, but hoping to change that for the next generation. Yeah, definitely. I like to ask that just to see if there was any, but I do definitely agree. They're really normally, or at least when we grow up, I grew up, you grew up. I didn't have that. I didn't, there was nobody that I saw within my circle within my community it was always a little bit further out a little bit out of reach right and for some people they may not even see that and so that affects us all yeah and what we believe we can do it's important we talk about it now too yeah and that's a great way of describing it like further out because i feel like i had to zoom out a whole lot in order to be able to see something like that and to even consider doing that i think I never thought of it as an option. Right. It feels out of reach. It's like, Mm -hmm. that's something not for me. Yeah. No, no, right? Well, I can't even say it now. I'm getting all tongue tied. Nos para nosotros. Yeah. I usually can speak Spanish better, but (laughs) (laughs) it's not coming out today. So please tell me about your educational background. Did you attend college immediately after high school or did you start it later? I did. So I I started my undergrad right out of high school. I was so ready to graduate high school. I was counting down the days, like almost literally until I was done. And, you know, I I think there was always just the expectation that it would be the next step. So my entire senior year, my job was filling out scholarship applications. Like that's once my homework was done, like all I did was fill out application after application, writing, I don't know how many essays and, you know, sending in, I was like still mailing in applications during this time, but that's what I did. Um, There really was no way for me to pursue a higher education without some kind of funding behind it. So I The effort paid off. Luckily, (laughs) I was able to secure a full ride to University of Houston for my undergraduate career. And that made the difference. I mean, if it wouldn't have been for that, I would have had to work and save money for my education, or I would have started at a community college so that it was like more financially accessible and then hopefully transfer to like a four-year institution. But because of that, I was able to start like right away. So it was a huge, a huge gift. Awesome. That's amazing. I wish I'd done that. I don't know what I was thinking. I never did. (laughs) I did not apply for, well, I take it back. I did. I did apply for some and I did get one, but I don't, not to the extent that I know some people have, and then they get their education completely paid for. So in regards to your college experience, I know you said you were ready to graduate high school and just go and you knew, you knew, you just knew you were going to go to college. When you first started college, was it the experience you were expecting it to be? an interesting question. I'm not quite sure what I expected, to be honest, but it was definitely a culture shock. You know, I was coming from a high school that was predominantly Black and Latino, and my scholarship um, made it possible, as well as made it a requirement, that I live on campus in the dorms. So I wasn't planning on that experience. I mean, I only lived about 20 or 30 minutes from campus. So my plan was to commute to school and, and live at home. So when I found out that I was going to be living on campus, that was a big adjustment, like moving out of my house, like into a dorm with three other people that I had never met before was a big deal. And it it was it was really scary. And I mean, on the like academic side of things, you know, I I was a nerd in high school. Like I took the AP classes that my high school had to offer, like studying my butt off and even like with that, I definitely was not prepared for the academic expectations that were there. So in addition to going to U of H, I also enrolled in the Honors College. And it was the first grade that I got back. I will never forget. It was an Honors History course. And I got a D on a paper. And like, I felt like my world was crashing down. Like I had never gotten grades like that before. I had put all my effort into it. And I get this paper bag with all these red marks and comments about how this was unclear and like this point didn't connect to this point. And I was so shocked. And it was an adjustment that I don't know how I could have even been prepared for it as, you know, as a first generation student, you know, coming from 
the kind of schools that were available to me in my community. It just wasn't college preparatory. And so that was hard. I mean, I, I was really grateful for my roommates that I ended up really getting along with and scholarship mates that, you know, gave me people to talk to to make that process a little bit easier because we were all kind of going through it at the same time. But to also have like folks who were not first gen, it could be hard for them to relate to that experience of like not having someone like in your immediate family to go to to help you navigate systems that you're not taught how to navigate otherwise. So it was a lot to adjust to, like financially, academically, socially. It was just turning my world upside down. And it, it was it was a lot. It was a big learning experience for sure. Thank you for sharing. That's definitely something that isn't talked about. Even you're just 20, 30 minutes away. You didn't even move away mm -hmm. and still had that culture shock. And then just the academic rigor that yeah. you just weren't prepared for. And there's nothing really to prepare you for, especially with what was available to you and what is available to other students that are coming from those same schools. Exactly. And even if someone were to have told you, you know, it's going to be hard, there's really nothing to conceptualize that until yeah. you're actually applying those skills and going through the process. So I'm glad you had that those supports there for yourself. I can't say that I had that extreme. I did get a D in algebra, but that was mostly because I didn't apply myself. I had like the opposite experience of always being quote unquote a natural genius. So I'd go to class and do my schoolwork and then get, get grades. But when I didn't, I knew it was because I wasn't putting in the effort. So it was learning that I can't always just I actually have to put in the effort to do well. I don't know. Yeah. It sounds horrible now, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you mean. Um, so before starting your first full-time job, you're now in college. What were some of your career interests then? So at that time, you know, I actually still enrolled at the University of Houston as a biology major, like with the plan to pursue like the veterinary stuff. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be to do the sciences at like a college level. It's not my natural strength. And I ended up taking an intro to psychology course my first semester as a freshman. And I fell in love with it. I thought it was so interesting to learn about like psychology and human behavior, like mental health, at the same time that I was struggling through my science courses. So actually, that is when I decided to change my major into psychology, and then pursue and eventually obtain my BA in psychology. So it, it led me down a, a different path that I'm really grateful for today. Yeah, I took an intro to psych class much later. So it was like my third major change. And I graduated with my BS in psych because I had so many science and math courses as I figured it out along the way. Yeah. So what were your first two interests? Uh, my first major was computer science. And then my second major was communication design. Okay. Three completely different <laughs> things. Yeah, very different. But that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We won't go in that story. Oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So once you entered the workforce, how did your career interests change? So now you graduated with your bachelor's in psychology. What did you decide to do then? So um, right after undergrad, I applied to grad school because I knew that a bachelor's in psychology was not going to earn me a lot of money. So I was applying to grad school. And to be honest, like I was so burned out my senior year of undergrad with the last courses that I needed to graduate. I was doing a senior thesis for my honors program. I was president of like my student organization. So just stamp overachiever like on my forehead because that is that that is what I am. And I did not end up putting the research into grad school that I otherwise could have. So I took my interests of psychology and working with kids because I've always enjoyed working with children. Um, the jobs that I've held throughout school were always like in a childcare center. So I was like, a school psychology sounds like a good fit. It's psych, it's like kids. Where are the kids? They're in the schools. So like, let me do a master's program in school psychology and become a licensed school psychologist. And that sounds great. 
And so I started a master's program in school psych and I hated it. I hated everything about it. It just was not the right fit for me. And I knew pretty early on, like I was weeks into the semester when I realized that I didn't want to do it anymore. I couldn't see myself continuing to commit years of my life, much less like a full-on career in this field. And it was an existential crisis. Like I asked myself, what the heck do I do now? Like this, this is what I committed to. Like, this is the plan. And the next three years of my life is like totally mapped out. And now what? So I struggled to figure out what my next steps were going to be. And right at about the same time, I started my master's program. I also started working at a nonprofit here in Houston for survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And I was working in the childcare area. So I was right alongside all the counselors and advocates that were doing the work with survivors. And I went to my boss at the time who became a mentor and is still one of my best friends like to this day. And I told her what I was feeling and how I felt stuck on what to do next. And she said, I think you'd make a great counselor. Have you considered counseling? And I realized that that's what was missing from my current program. It was the chance to create relationships instead of just learning plans and to really like nurture that connection piece. So I looked into it. I looked into some programs. I had loved my time at U of H. And so I applied to transfer back to University of Houston in the counseling program. And I, for time reasons, I ended up spending one more semester in my program before I could transfer. And I took all the credits I could and then started my master's in counseling program the following summer. So lost a little bit of time in the process, but it ended up absolutely being the best decision now that I look back on it. Yeah, at the time it feels like you've wasted time, but really you're just kind of learning. Yeah. And it's better that you found out early. You decided early on, because like, sometimes we know something's not a fit and we keep doing it. And then, you know, we actually spend more time doing something we don't like. And yeah. for those listening that aren't familiar with what a school psychologist does, they do a lot of assessments in the schools to assess children and see what needs they have. And of course, a counselor actually works in direct services and providing services directly to clients. So the next question, you kind of talked a little bit about it already. What type of mentors did you have in your career development? You already talked about one. Was there any more? that you had? Yeah, you know, I'm really grateful to the team of people that I, you know, worked with at the time and ended up working with for a little bit. I stayed in the same agency for almost 10 years before I moved positions. And now I, I work at the University of Houston. So throughout that time, I mean, in the beginning, I really turned to them, like I turned to the counselors that I worked alongside to you know hear about what drew them to the profession and there was a mix of people you know that had graduate degrees some that didn't some that were counseling some that were social work so it was a pretty diverse mix of backgrounds and it gave me a chance to like really learn just the different pathways to get to do the same kind of work and i think each one of them like in a different way really helped me along the path and it's, you know, continued to evolve. Like I said, all of my, like my crew, like my circle of people, all of my closest friends, they are all counselors and therapists. They are all from that job that I had. And so it's just been really cool to see how the journey has evolved. And not just for me, but for them too. That's awesome. Again, you got surrounded by a support system yeah. built in, right? First in the, at the university and then in your 
first nonprofit work. That's amazing, which is great, especially as a first gen professional, mm-hmm. you know, to have that because, you know, our parents want to help us, but they really can't. They don't have the words to be able to to help us through those things. Yeah. So tell me about your networking experiences for your career development, aside from mentoring. Yeah. So aside from that, I think I started to take more advantage of the networking stuff as my career like progressed. So, you know, being a part of professional organizations, attending conferences, um, you know, those those things are luxuries in a lot of ways, but it's been really helpful for the times that I've been able to take advantage of that and participate in things like that. And, you know, now in the field of higher education, like I am part of a few different organizations like that are like identity based or affinity based to just create some community around folks that are doing some of the same work, like in student affairs and student success. And so that's been one of the most helpful things I think has been to be a part of like professional organizations, like either at a local or like a state or even a national level to connect with folks who are like in the same kind of field. It's been really nice. Yeah, it always is because you don't have to explain a bunch. They just, you mm-hmm. just can go dive in right into it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. And so what has been your most influential experiences in your career so far? Oh, so I think one of the big ones, because from the beginning of when I set out to do like counseling and mental health, I was always focused on children. And the younger, the better. Like I love the itty bitties. So my plan initially was like to work with young children to do play therapy and go that route. So the internship that I ended up getting during my master's program was focused on children who had experienced trauma. And that felt like a really natural fit from what I had been doing in the nonprofit work. Like all the children that I worked with had, you know, witnessed domestic violence or experienced like some form of abuse. And so it felt like a really good transition. And then once I got to my internship site, I learned that the interns were part of a program that provided pro bono work to one of the local homeless shelters in Houston. And I didn't know that when I signed up for the program, but as an intern, you do the jobs that you are given. And so I was thrown into an environment working with adults who were unhoused through life circumstances had found themselves in that position. And I had never worked with adults before. So I felt really out of water. (laughs) Um, And my the first adult client that I ever saw, I wasn't prepared for like at at all. It ended up being that like the staff person walked me up to the floor where my room was. And we were getting out of one elevator, the client was getting out of the other and the staff person was like, Oh, here's your person. All right. So I'll see, you know, I'll see you in a little bit. And I, I was in the hallway, like, uh, what do I do now? So that's how that went. But I, I learned through that, you know, every one of the adults that I worked with had experienced some form of trauma. And that was the link that I was able to make between the work that I've been doing that that I had already been trained to do. And I think it, you know, gave me such a different experience on what a counseling relationship could be like. And it gave me a chance to use my skills in, in a very different way. And I ended up really enjoying the adult work. So It turned out that right before I was expected to graduate from my program, there was a position that opened up at my job to work with adults. And I took it. I I applied for it based on the experience that I had now gained through my internship. And that experience, even though it's not what I had signed up for and not what I expected, ended up being a really great learning experience. And it changed the focus of my career towards adults. That and at the same time, during another, you know, moment of my internship, I got to observe play therapy. 
and realized it was not the fit for me. Once I got to see it in action, I was like, this is great, but I can't see myself doing this. So I need another plan. Like, this isn't going to be it for me. So I think those two things together led me on a different path. And now here I am. So Yeah. Yeah. I had my own, I don't want to work with kids experience. <laughs> and I still like working with like adolescents, but definitely not the little ones. And just, you know, everyone's meant for something and you have those experiences to exactly. teach you. It's not, it's not for you. Yeah. So you had two, two experiences <laughs> to kind of push you along the right direction or, yeah. you know your your path so now what is what do you feel has been an important success in your life so far it's an interesting question i think um i am really proud of the way that i turned my initial graduate school experience around and you know, managed to still create something out of an event that at the time, like, felt really devastating <laughs> for someone who is like a planner and a look ahead kind of person. When, you know, that whole plan dissolved, I really for a while, like, did not know what my next steps were. And I'm grateful to the people that I had at the time that could help me make some sense of it and, you know, find a path for myself that ended up being really successful. And, you know, I, I think I would say another success has been, you know, throughout the course of my career, my 10 years at that nonprofit agency, I worked in different positions, like different populations, it would have various specialties at different times. And one of the things that I'm really, really proud of is my last two years, we finally secured some grant funding to be able to offer a licensed therapist position. And I was the first person that got to serve in that role. And so to be able to provide like evidence-based therapies. I was able to get trained in a few different trauma-specific modalities and being able to provide that to clients in ways that helps them move past their trauma. Like those are like many of those people I still think about like to this day. And, you know, I ended up moving, moving on from that position and, and going into some bigger waters in, in a way, because I specialized in a niche for so long. And now I'm in a very non-specialty place that allows me to see folks with all kinds of different experiences, which I like because um, trauma work is, you know, can be very draining. But I, I am really proud that I like helped to play a role in bringing that to the agency and in being able to serve like the community and serve survivors in that way um, was really meaningful work and um, something that I would absolutely consider to be a success over my career so far. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Yeah, working in, in trauma, it can be very challenging after some time and learning new experiences. So it sounds like, you know, that chapter came to an end and now it's a new chapter in your life. So what do you feel have been some important frustrations in your life and career thus far? Ooh, frustrations. I would say, I think one of the things that I have been focusing on most recently career-wise has been incorporating like anti-racism into my work and think of frustration of the field of like counseling and mental health as a whole just being so overwhelmingly white and the you know theories and models and all the modalities that we have have been created by a very specific group of people and that group has not uh, well has outright stolen ideas and concepts and healing practices from, you know, BIPOC communities forever. And so that's, that's a frustration of mine, I think is just very 
active. It's in the forefront of my mind a lot these days. And how am I contributing to that system just by way of the power that I hold in the room? And how can I use that in ways that cause as little harm as possible? And so I'm very intentional about bringing intersectionality into the room, like talking about how clients' identities impact their experiences and healing from those experiences. And I don't think that's done enough. I've had a conversation with my own therapist about how I want that worked into our conversations more, because I think in, you know, many ways, counseling and mental health as a whole continues to perpetuate whiteness as the norm. And how do I actively work to dismantle that? Even though I'm not a a white therapist, I have privilege. And how do I use that most effectively? So those are the conversations that I'm constantly (laughs) bringing up, and not just in the therapy room, but also like outside of it, as we're talking about like our services and like, how are we reaching people and who is coming to see us? And, you know, some of the people that need us the most are not the ones that are going to be like knocking on our door or calling our phone line. So what are we doing about that? I think those are some of the things that we need to reconsider is access in terms of, you know, mental health supports and so many other things. But, you know, that's, that's my area currently. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That is something I had not actively thought about, right? That the practices, the counseling practices that I learned Mm -hmm. were completely developed by white people, Mm -hmm. you know, and mostly white men. I mean, I can't even think of white woman that developed a theory with that. I think for myself in my own practice, and then also in coaching, I always circle back to you know, empowering the individual and knowing, you know, they're the expert in their life. And that actually came from my PhD program and the work. I can't even think of the modality that it was, but it was through the research practices in regards to it being through their eyes, through Mm -hmm. their lens and not from our outside lens. Yeah. I love it. It sounds very like relational, cultural, like very feminist and yeah. Yeah, I can't remember the theory. I know. There's so many. (laughs) Um, So what have been some obstacles or challenges that you have faced in your career development so far? It's a good question. What obstacles or challenges have there been along the way? You know, I, I think one obstacle that has been something that I feel like I've encountered is knowing where to go and get information. It sounds kind of strange, but I feel like that has been like, that's been something that I I don't think there's necessarily enough that's out there about like helping folks know how to like navigate that. So like, I found myself just turning mostly just to the people that I had around me, like to ask them about things like that. Like, and I feel like you know, stuff that maybe now is a bit more accessible just through like a Google search. But like, I didn't know what a CV was for the longest time. I didn't know what the letters stood for. Like, what is this thing? How is that different from, I've got a resume. Like, how is that different from a resume? But like, just to some of those, like, I think about it in terms of like the higher education system, like they talk about the hidden curriculum. So like those things that you're not like being explicitly taught, but that like, Uh, you're just kind of expected to know how to do. I feel like in a way there is a like hidden curriculum to the professional world. And if you don't definitely, yeah. Like (laughs) if you don't have someone before you who's like navigated it, who knows the lingo and knows like how to move around in it. I mean, how, how, how do you figure that out? Like you end up having to leverage a lot of your own resources and get creative, um, which, you know, which we are um, because we've had to be creative and resourceful. So, you know, I, I think that's that's been something. I haven't phrased it exactly in, in that way before, but since I'm, you know, entering now a doctoral program, I've been thinking about this like hidden curriculum concept. And I think it definitely applies to the professional sphere just as much as the educational. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I had never thought about it that way, but it makes total sense. You know, you don't know what you don't know, and you don't know what to ask. So how are you ever going to know? All we learned was apply to a job and work hard, and then you'll get promoted. Because in the labor field, that's what works, right? That's who gets promoted to the supervisor or the foreman. And that's the language our parents know. And for us in the professional world, you can work hard for a long time and get nowhere. Exactly. So now I want you to look back at, and do you feel that you had any missed opportunities that you look back and you're like, oh, I'm glad that I didn't take that job opportunity after all, or educational opportunity? That's a a good question. I am. And so I, I did something that I wasn't supposed to do in, in grad school. As I was applying to internships, I, I was offered and I accepted one. It ended up being like out of school. Because uh, again, like working with kids, that was going to be like, that was my plan. And then I, after that was already said and done, I, I got an interview for like my, what was my dream site, which ended up being the, the place that I, that I ended up being at. And they offered me a position and I accepted it. And then I went back to my former one and was like, thank you so much for this opportunity, but blah, blah, blah. It's very professional in the way that I communicated. Like, thanks, but no thanks. And when I told my program, they were very upset that I had done that. Apparently, it reflected poorly on them. So I got chewed out. And my punishment was that I was not allowed to start my internship that semester. I had to wait until the summer of that year. And so I went back to my dream site and they were gracious enough to hold my spot for the summer, even though, I mean, they were obviously expecting someone to start in January the same way that I was hoping to, but I got slapped on the hand and was told that that was a no-no. So the site let me start late, which delayed my graduation. And that was a whole other thing that I was very not happy about. But in the end, I'm glad I did it because one, there was no policy saying that I couldn't do that. And if I had ended up being at the school, I think it would have led me down a completely different path. So even though my internship didn't end up being everything I expected it to be, it still opened up this area that I don't think I otherwise would have discovered. And since that incident, there has been a policy instituted. (laughs) So that is my apology to the future students of that program that now have to agree to that in writing because of what I did that semester. Wow. Which you did doesn't sound so bad. But it really wasn't that bad. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you know, sometimes people just get hung up on little things instead of folk they they focused on the negative part versus just is part you know things happen people change their mind and they should respect that especially a counseling program sometimes you know in counseling programs they they don't necessarily always practice what we preach and free choice is very important i think isn't pushed in counseling as much instead it's more of like falling into norms I dislike when clients tell me like, well, I'm not being normal. Well, there is no normal. Mm -hmm. Who decided that? You decide what's normal. If you want to sleep till however long, wake up and you're still productive, what does it matter? You know, the sleeping in late, what's, I don't know. I let the kids sleep in late. I think it's fine. You know, as long as you're productive and up and doing what you need to do. That's the only way to learn and shaming people for the way they want to live their life is not okay. But we'll, we'll, I'll stop there. (laughs) (laughs) I could jump right on that like soapbox with you completely. And because also I feel like that whole, you know, you have to wake up early, be productive. Like that's capitalism right there. Like coming into our expectations of who we're supposed to be and who are supposed to be. So yeah, I'll stop because I could also (laughs) continue going about how we need to burn capitalism and the patriarchy down. But that's just, that's just where I come from. So. Yeah. That's Yeah. Yeah. We'll have a side conversation another time for that. (laughs) We we should do a clubhouse room on that. Um, (laughs) 
Okay, so to the questions. Now, a question I like to ask is, what are some ways that you find like new learning opportunities or career growth opportunities for yourself that is different than, you know, like just a conference? So give people ideas on different ways that they can learn a new skill. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it's important to think outside of the conference realm because it is such a privilege to enter those spaces. You know, the cost of conferences is completely exorbitant. The prices that I've seen for some Zoom conferences have like made my jaw drop. So apart from that, like I'm a huge like advocate for, you know, finding the you know, information in ways that works for you. So if that is through like TED Talks, if that's through YouTube videos, I do, again, I'm a huge nerd. So I do lots of reading, article searching, and my nightstand is just completely covered with books of what I'm reading right now. Because I like that's, that's a way that I, I tend to connect with things a lot is through reading. And one of the things that I'm fortunate to take advantage of like through higher education is like there are a lot of like continuing education opportunities that will be available, you know, workshops or like events to drop into. So on social media, like I'll follow a few different pages on like mental health or social justice and there's some different authors that I'll follow on there that will also post about like when they're doing talks and I'll follow some stuff through like local bookstores that will host events. So like those can also be like uh, affordable or sometimes even like free opportunities to just go and learn. And a couple of different times when there've been like talks that have been hosted that are like free, when I haven't been able to attend because they've been through Zoom and have been recorded, I've asked the host of the event if I could have access to the recording, like if I'm not able to attend. And on more than one occasion, they've been generous enough to send me the recording after. So like no CEs, but like that's not what I like. I went there to like hear, you know, one of my idols like talk about liberation in psychology. So those can be some great things to take advantage of too. I think, you know, through our increasingly technological world um, that's been an, an upside that has come out of it is just increasing access to educational content and through different ways to learn. So there's a lot that out, that's out there. It just takes a little bit of digging, but I've found like social media to be a great way to stay informed on what's happening and like when, and like most of the time folks are really happy to see like attendees at their event. So that's been really helpful for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I was thinking that too, like Instagram, I think LinkedIn is pushed a lot, but LinkedIn also is dollar signs. So I think looking at Instagram, going in there, and you might find a lot of free workshop, except especially from new entrepreneurs that are sharing very much same knowledge that is being shared in these other platforms. So Mm -hmm. yeah, exactly. Okay, so I have two more questions for you. Now you went from working at the nonprofit and now work for the University of Houston. How was that transition for you? It was scary. It was it was really scary to make the jump. Truthfully, like at, at the time that I did decide to leave nonprofit work, I wasn't looking for a jump, but I had been feeling very burned out and an opportunity came up at U of H that at the time I told myself, like, let me just see what could happen. And I'm a big believer, even though sometimes I have to constantly remind myself that if the opportunity is meant to be, then it'll be there. And if it doesn't open, it's not my door. And so when it opened, I thought, okay, let's do it. I mean, this, you know, it's it's my home institution. I love the university and the chance to go back in a role that would allow me to serve students and give something back in the way that I feel like I got so much from that experience and from my time there. It just felt like a good next step. So with lots of butterflies in my stomach, I made that leap. And, you know, I, I was really intimidated to make the transition. You know, I was really comfortable at my last job. Like I said, I was there almost 10 years. I was just shy of my 10 year anniversary. 
and I'd done my entire graduate education there, my hours for licensure, everything happened there. Like all of my early growth happened there. And I felt supremely confident in my skills and whatever client situation came up, I felt capable of handling it. I would mentor newer colleagues. And now I was entering a position with PhDs and PsyDs and folks who'd been in higher ed for a long time. And my higher ed experience was what I got as a student. Like I didn't have anything else outside of that. So I had the imposter syndrome come up, you know, like, can I do this? Like, am I like meant to be here? Did they make a mistake in hiring me? <laughs> you know, lots of self-doubt and nervousness. And, you know, then I realized that I was bringing in all of that experience with me. Like I had the trauma thing down and that was something really unique that, that I was bringing in that honestly wasn't too prevalent um, amongst my colleagues. And, you know, I, I learned the other stuff. I think one of my big nerves was, you know, I was so used to being at a place where what came in the door was trauma. It was intimate partner violence. It was sexual assault. It was childhood sexual abuse. And now I was at a place where it, it could be anything. It could be those things. It could also be like someone who's adjusting to college or has like major depression or OCD. And I was like, how do I, I don't know how to help just anybody who's coming in with any particular like combination of experiences. So that was networking, but it was, it is a super supportive environment. And with, you know, some trusted people, I felt like I could be nervous outwardly and ask for help and get that help from other people and how to do things. And eventually I learned, I mean, it's been three years for me now over there and I've learned a lot. I'm still bringing in like my particular expertise, but it's, it's been really nice to also have the diversity in so many ways, in every way, actually over there with that population but also just in experience has been has been really good for my own, my own professional development so well congratulations on that and then another big congratulations on getting into the PhD program that you start in the fall yes thank you how are you feeling about that Oh, I am equal parts nervous and excited. <laughs> I've, I've been wanting this for a long time. I, you know, truthfully, it was, it was just a matter of um, figuring out what I wanted to do. I considered different fields and, you know, what that would mean just for my continued growth. And I, I never quite connected with a doctorate in psychology or counseling or social work as much because it's been my area. And, you know, being in higher education, like I, I have just felt so energized and the outreach component of like what we do in particular has been something that I've enjoyed so much. And I also just feel like we need more representation in the seats that hold power to affect change and increase the opportunities, especially for, you know, communities that have been marginalized and historically like excluded from spaces. So all of that ended up kind of coming together, you know, along with, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a departure from mental health so much. I, I sort of feel like I'm expanding the definition of that and maybe specializing it in, into, you know, what does that mean in a higher education system? Like what does, you know, wellness, what does support really look like? So I ended up applying and then being accepted into a higher education leadership and policy studies program. And that is what I'll be starting in less than two months or just right at about two months, I think. So I'm excited. I'm ready. I have had the good fortune to meet some of my cohort mates before the semester gets started and have connected with some folks. So that's always nice. And 
I, I'm just ready to see what it's like to add this new thing into my life. So, yeah, it'd be great. You should listen to my last episode. I talk a little bit about how I balanced having kids and the PhD. Yes, I will definitely go in and listen because that is one of my big concerns. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I was actually scheduled to start my program last fall in August of 2020. And my son was born August 1st. And the idea of starting a program in a pandemic with a three-week-old was incredibly overwhelming to me. So I deferred my start date to this year. So I've been waiting to get started. And now I feel like all antsy, like at the start line, like, let's just like, let's just get this going. (laughs) So I'm excited. But balancing it with a one-year-old is, you know, that's not not going to be an easy task either. So I will, I am open to any and all tips on that part. So I'll definitely give it a listen. And the last question is, what's the last bit of career advice you want to give the listeners? Career advice. There's a couple of different things that come to mind, actually. So I think one thing that I would say is I would have loved to have someone tell me to stay open, you know, stay open to what possibilities are out there, you know, to to not necessarily box yourself into one thing because, you know, the, the path can change and like that is totally okay. I think you asked for one piece, but I would also say another one would be that I feel like it is just as important to know what you don't want to do as it is to figure out what you do want, because it wasn't until for me that I got that direct experience. Like I had the idea of what something was until like I did it and I was like, oh no, this isn't, this isn't it. Those are, those are some of the big things. I think the other thing that's coming up for me is just this kind of, you know, the feeling that I get whenever I get to like sit down in conversation with like another Latina, another scholar, another mother is, you know, I think that what we're doing is just so incredibly transformative and simply existing in the spaces we occupy professionally, professionally is an act of resistance. And I, you know, just hope that everyone who is listening to this like finds and continuously creates their own path whatever that means for them because it's all important work you know there's not one type of work that is more valued or more special than another to me and so I just hope that everyone finds what fulfills them at the end of the day Thank you so much. And it was all great. And that's why I wanted to do the podcast because we get to- we get asked that question, what do you want to be? And when you change your mind, it it's like, well, didn't you want to do this? What happened to that? And it goes into this whole other dialogue. And it's like that, that builds that you can't change your mind and you only can have one idea of what you want to do and you need to stick with it or you're a quitter yeah. or you're this or you're that. And then you're just shamed. So thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I'm sure the listeners loved and enjoyed everything. And your last advice was awesome. I love it. Um, it Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I know this was so awesome. I'm so glad that we could, you know, just have this space to connect. So I appreciate being a part of the conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to the Manifest Your Career podcast with me, your host, Dr. Norma Reyes, a Latina career and life coach.